PDPods present the Corona Cast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, episode two of the newly rebranded uh, the Corona Cast, hosted by PDPods and myself, Pranay Budev. Um, we decided after our last episode and having had a fantastic response to it that we should essentially rebrand because we want to be releasing multiple episodes about how this is affecting uh, not only uh, orthopedic surgeons but surgeons uh, throughout trainees and uh, wider healthcare population. Um, one of the groups that will have the most questions and concerns right now are going to be those in training. So I'm very grateful to be sitting with Trisha Campbell, who is the president of the British Orthopaedic Trainee Association uh, and who also sits on the BOA and Royal College of Surgeons Council. Uh, Trisha, thank you so much for joining me today and hoping we can address some of the concerns that our trainees and juniors are having. Thank you for having me. Um, so you're currently an ST6 orthopaedic registrar in North East and I believe you're yep. also currently on some sort of uh, leadership uh, programme, is that right? Yeah, so I'm, out, I'm on UPI, working at Health Education England in the North East, doing a leadership year. Fantastic. So halfway through. So, and I'm, uh, you know, so you're probably in a really good place right now to help address uh, a lot of these concerns, especially because there has been recently some guidance issued by the JCST, uh, Health Education England and ISCP, etc., Obviously, this is unprecedented times and this pandemic is really going to uh, require uh, more involvement of trainees outside of maybe their levels of training and comfort. But also this has a wider implication on training itself, educational activity and people that were planning to sit exams and go on fellowships as well. So tell me, uh, let's start off with educational activity. Yeah. Um, Tell me what, what has been uh, released so far and how are courses and we'll move on to exams after that be affected by this? Yeah, so um, the four surgical royal colleges of the UK and Ireland um, put out a statement um, on the 13th of March stating that all non-essential travel for both surgeons and trainees are cancelled as of Monday the 16th of March. Now, as you can imagine, this has quite far-reaching consequences. So this means that conferences educational training courses, assessment panels, accreditation visits, and importantly, exams are postponed. And, you know, that's that includes... a massive amount of areas, yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, that's going to affect trainees at all different levels. So, you know, those that may have been yes. to do an ATLS course that we know is really difficult to get on and, you know, cost quite a bit of money, to those yep. who have been maybe completed the first part of the FRCS that can't sit the second part. Uh, tell yeah. me, what, what guidance has there been to sort of manage the problems? Let's start with courses. Um, yep. what, what's going to happen with courses? Are trainees going to be given refunds? Are they going to be rebooked onto courses? And when do we expect this may potentially be lifted? So, as we know, it's unprecedented times. We don't know when it's going to be lifted. We're working towards the end of July. Now, with regards to courses, trainees are being booked onto the next available one after we were allowed to restart courses. The one that most people seem to be concerned with, quite rightly, is ATLS, because you need that for CCT. So a lot of SD8s who are now approaching CCT are worried that they were booked onto an ATLS course, it's been postponed, the next one is after their CCT dips. But we've had guidance saying that 
should you be approaching CCT and don't have the ATLS because of uh, it being postponed, your portfolio will be looked at as a whole. So if there's evidence that you can manage a trauma patient, it won't matter that you haven't had your ATLS um, in this recent sitting. Okay, good. Well, that, that's very good to know. And um, as, as I sort of mentioned, do you think courses will be refunded or uh, what, what have you been told so far with regards to how all of these cancellations are going to be managed? Who do people depends, contact? Yeah, it depends on the courses. So for some of the courses, um, trainings are being rebooked on the next available one. But for others, they're getting a refund. So it depends on the number of sittings of the course um, or if it's a one-off event um, or if that's going to be postponed for the future. So I think the first thing to do would be to contact the course provider in the first instance. Yeah, and a number of national conferences, including uh, Biscos and Basque, have been cancelled and they're actually postponing them till next year. So I think there remains to be some uncertainty how long this is going to affect us for. Yeah, um, definitely. For example, Bowton normally have a summer school once a year. We plan to have this in July, but it's looking pretty unlikely that we're going to do that. So we're making plans to have it later in the year. Good. And, you know, that's always a very well attended and uh, fantastic meeting to be at. So I hope you and your uh, committee are able to you know, adjust that accordingly. Thank you. Let's move on to exams, because, you know, this is a stressful time for, ex for people. Uh, you know, I remember very well sitting my FRCS and it consumes you. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of people may have, you know, been preparing to sit for part one or have been really ready to sit for part two and be in their, yeah. you know, final years of training. Tell yeah. me, how is that going to be addressed uh, at FRCS level? And then we'll talk about MRCS. Yeah, so um, all JCIE exams have been postponed until end of July 2020. Now, we're hoping that after July 2020, we can restart. But again, it's uncertain and we don't know for sure. But we're planning for July 2020. So with regards to the FRCS, those candidates that were due to sit part one in June have all been moved to the November diet. So for part two, those candidates who were due to sit in May have again been moved to the November diet. Now the problem there occurs that the November diet is now closed for further applicants. So if people had been planning to sit the November diet and weren't already on the May one, we're going to have to think about what, what happens then. There's a bit of uncertainty as to, as to what happens because the um, application window is closed. And do you think, I'm sure this will be, uh, you know, regarded and acknowledged by the Royal Colleges to sort of potentially add an extra date. I guess all of this is sort of up in the air right now, isn't it? Yeah, everyone's working really hard to see what we can do to minimise the effect that it has on, on our trainees. So a lot of work has been going on in the background to kind of um, get the best solution possible. And obviously the part one is actually done remotely. Is this something that they could consider doing earlier? I mean, I did mine in a driving test centre uh, not far from where I live. Yeah, the problem is the driving test centres themselves have closed and they're not allowing um, exams to be sat there. So um, again, it just requires a lot of planning and thinking as to the best way we can put these exams on. And those uh, junior colleagues who are in their sort of foundation training and planning to apply for core training mm -hmm. at MRCS level, how's this going to affect them? Because, you know, I'm sure before you had to have your MRCS by the time you were an FY2 in order to apply for it. So um, with regards to ST3 applicants, they, there should be a minimal number of trainees that are affected um, because you need to have your MRCS exam in order to apply for the, uh, the, at the time of interview, sorry. 
So I think the number of CT2s affected is going to be pretty minimal. Um, and it, it's the same process for FRCS. We just need to make sure that all those training due, that were due to sit the MLCS are booked onto the next available sitting. Okay, good. And when, while we're talking about SD3s, let's swiftly move on to national selection because yes. that's, that was upcoming, just you know, not too far around the corner. Yeah. Uh, there has been some issued guidance that this is not going to be face-to-face anymore, but tell me, how are they going to uh, proceed? Are they going to proceed with this? So the, the national selection has been something where I think everyone's been desperately trying to get more information. It's been, um, I think, a source of frustration for a lot of trainees. Um, and we still don't have the full picture. So what I know so far is that the four nations are working together to produce a plan. I know that there's not going to be any face-to-face process of interviewing people, and I'm awaiting details as to what the actual national selection um, process will be. Um, and as soon as I find out, I'll publicise that widely because I'm aware this is causing a lot of anxiety for a large number of trainees. Yeah, and hopefully we can maybe do another episode of this when we do have a bit more news. And even if it's a shorter episode, it will be probably very useful to those concerned. Yeah, definitely. Whatever we can do to help trainees feel prepared, um, both are happy, are happy to do. Fantastic. So let's move on to uh, those in training. Yes. And I should actually mention this. This doesn't just affect orthopedic trainees. This is probably considering most of the surgical uh, training rotations. Mm-hmm. Um, they've issued guidance that all rotations will currently cease in what was supposed to happen in April uh, yes. 2020. Uh, tell me, how's that going to affect? I guess this will largely affect more of the um, core trainees, won't it, than uh, the specialist trainees? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of um, local variation. For example, where I am in the Northeast, trainees rotate February to August, whereas I know in London those months are slightly, slightly different different um so yes from april no trainee will rotate around as a general rule however there can be a bit of local discretion if there are particular circumstances as to why that trainee needs to needs to move and the reason this is cut this is um being put in place is to minimize any change to the working environment in these uncertain times because that's another thing which there's a bit of a learning curve when you start at a new hospital you need an induction you might need more supervision initially so it's to kind of flatten that um, that learning curve and do you think this is going to affect us come august if this is still going on do you think people may not rotate hospitals in august i think things are so uncertain i don't know what's going to happen week to week let alone in august but things are being reviewed on a continual basis so um the decision will be reviewed and if it's that we need to stay well then that's what we need to do for um patient care but that will be assessed as we go along a very good politician answer. I like it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about um, the daunting ISCP and work-based yeah. placements. Yeah. You know, obviously, right now with elective work essentially uh, being uh, ceased mm-hmm. from the latest 15th yeah. April for three months, this is going to have a profound effect on our trainees and their work-based assessments and indeed their exposure to surgeries that are required for uh, training in CCT. So tell me, how is this going to be looked at and um, are they going to push back CCT dates because of it? Because that's another worry that I've been uh, approached with over the last few days. Yeah, so it's a really difficult situation because obviously at this time, the priority has to be clinical work. Um, So many formal educational activities, as we know, will stop. 
Um, however, this does not mean they're not going to be learning opportunities. It's just have to reframe the way we think about it. And there's going to be loads of leadership management teamwork things that we can learn from. And there was a recent um, statement which quite clearly, clearly stated that trainees are encouraged to log and reflect on these leadership um, and management experiences. Um, they've also said that yes, trainees may find it difficult to achieve the normal workplace-based assessments, but their logs will be looked at um, and possibly counted towards their, their training. And they've clearly said that no training will be disadvantaged if they're unable to complete the required number of work-based assessments, which I think is a really reassuring thing to have written down. Well, I think the London trainees will be especially grateful because it, as I'm sure you know, it used to be 80 WBAs per year. Yeah. I think that's now dropped to 40, but even that may not be manageable in our, in our current clinical climate. So that's quite a relief to hear. But I would take this opportunity to uh, you know, encourage all trainees uh, to demonstrate that they are engaging with ICP, engaging with reflecting and maybe doing um you know cbds and uh you know different type of uh work-based assessments even if you know they end up being allocated to a fracture clinic which has been turned into an a and e minors because you will see the child with a painful hip that can be good you will see the patient yeah. with spine pain so really utilize those opportunities to to get out of the work-based assessments what you need yeah i i agree and i think if you if things where you are allow for you to do workplace based assessments i think you need to grab those opportunities whilst they they still exist yeah now uh obviously training is going to be grossly interrupted and yep. some learning outcomes are not going to be achieved but tell yep. me about the arcp yeah again so thankfully we have some written guidance from the JC, jcst on this um, so what they have said is where the HE local officers can provide it, ARCP panels will continue to review trainees' portfolio online. So this will not be a face-to-face -face ARCP as we know it. It will be comprised of a minimum number of assessors, which is two. They will review evidence from the portfolio and pay particular evidence to the supervisor's report. So this needs to be comprehensive. The aim of this is to ensure that prior to this COVID-19 outbreak, the trainee was progressing, meeting those curriculum requirements and they were on track. They, have, they will take a pragmatic and flexible approach, which I think is what we need at this time. Um, there are slight, um, so some ARCPs are slightly more critical than others. For example, if you're approaching um, CCT, and as I kind of mentioned earlier, um, there will be a pragmatic approach. So for example, if you haven't got your ATLS because it's been postponed, that will be looked at um, in the light of your whole portfolio. And so obviously, you know, you do have these critical areas like uh, CCT, but I've, I've read that, um, you know, people will still be awarded an outcome six if they have met all the requirements. Yes. And really, they'll review the whole portfolio to ensure that, you know, that particular person is safe to practice. Yes. Obviously, um, in this uncertain time where, you know, a lot of people may have organised fellowships yeah. uh, abroad, which have where countries have now closed their borders, such as Toronto and Australia, mm -hmm. um, you know, they were typically offered a period of grace. Um, yes. And that's going to change now because these guys aren't going to be able to go out to different countries. So yeah. uh, what, what do you think is going to happen to those people? Because they'll be searching for answers right now. 
yeah. So I want to reassure any ST8 tra trainee that there can be offered up to a 12 month period of grace because it's been widely acknowledged that if you've got a fellowship lined up, some of this is simply not going to happen. You may not even be able to travel to that country. So they should think about it and raise it with their TPD quite early on that they would like a period of grace and that can be up to 12 months. We'll go on to some more special examples and uh, that will probably only affect a handful of people, but nevertheless, all of them will hopefully be listening and waiting for this section. Tell me about trainees who are currently out of programme like yourself. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm out of programme. I'm doing a um, leadership post with Health Education England. Um, so in that post, everyone um, had a letter a couple of days ago saying that should we wish to go back to the front line, they'd they would release us to go back into clinical practice where appropriate. Now, I appreciate there may be certain circumstances where it's not appropriate for a trainee to go back to the front, front line in a patient-facing role. Those cases will need to be assessed on an individual basis. It may be the, that they need to have an occupational health review prior to going back to see where's the most appropriate place for that trainee to go. Um, so... I think there is the, the thought that should a trainee be out, for example, on UPAR about to complete their PhD, ideally we'd like them to finish that PhD. So we'd try and keep them in post as long as possible until it's necess really necessary that we need to bring them back into clinical practice. And what about those trainees who may be currently pregnant or on maternity leave? Yeah. So... Again, if any trainee is pregnant, um, they need to have an occupational health review to, to make a plan as for the, um, the best place for them to be. It needs to be risk assessed. We don't want any pregnant uh, trainee putting themselves at risk. So what was the second part of your question there? And those who, who are potentially on maternity leave and maybe at the end of their maternity leave and planning to return to training. Yes. So every circumstance is slightly different. If a trainee were coming to the end of their maternity leave, they had provisions for care of their baby and they felt strongly that they would like to come back to training, they should in the first instance speak to their TPD um, because although we're saying all these trainees should, you know, if they want to can come back into clinical practice, we need to allocate those resources carefully. Fantastic. Now, I think the golden question here is all about redeployment. Yeah. And all about how our current clinical practice is <laughs> likely to change in the short term, maybe even in the long term. Uh, and, um, you know, the BOA issued a, a fantastic guidance on what they suggest trust should start organizing <laughs> and reorganizing the, the sort of trauma and orthopedic service. Yeah. Um, are trainees going to be ventilating patients? So it's, it's a difficult situation, it's uncertain times, there's regional variation. For example, I've had reports that not trainees, but orthopedic consultants um, are working on ITUs. So we have to judge each case on a case-by-case -case basis, but trainees will be redeployed if needed according to their skill set. For example, as you mentioned, running the minor injuries un unit. But I think it's quite important that we realise that the more junior trainee still has their generic skill set, whereas the more senior orthopedic trainee hasn't done general medicine for a long time. So if we are to be put in a different situation, we need to have adequate supervision um, and be comfortable in that clinical environment. 
that's not to say that we won't be redeployed to different areas because we don't know how this is going to progress. And ultimately, we're here for patient care. I completely agree. And obviously right now, flexible working is sort of essential, but must be taken in the context of both patient and trainee safety. Uh, yes. Obviously, our goal right now is to minimise the spread of infection, uh, monitor personal and patient safety, ma- maintain normal processes where possible and, and be pragmatic. And obviously, as things change, and if this does really become a, a tsunami of a hit, as they're planning, it may be, uh, you know, it, it's almost certain that all of us are going to be asked to uh, do things differently. I agree. It'll be all hands on deck. But then right now, you know, we're in a situation where a lot of our trainees are having to self-isolate because of the uh, guidance issued by Public Health England, uh, specifically saying if one member of your family is unwell, that you have to self-contain for 14 days, which obviously, you know, is important to reduce sort of the spread of this. But it's really going to take a toll on front lines. Um, yes. what, what can trainees do in this time uh, to keep themselves not just sitting and watching Netflix all day, but actually being yeah. productive and maybe, you know, help their demonstration that they've engaged in their training despite being in this situation? Yeah, sure. I think there are no, a number of things, and it kind of really depends on where that trainee is in their, um, in their training programme. Um, I think we all have unfinished work, we've just never had the time to do. Um, so if they've got any papers to write up, any audits to finish, that would be a a good a good starting point um, there's a lot of trainees with exams looming so exam preparation would would be a good thing um, at BOTA we're trying to put together lots of resources so two are we're trying to put together some resource, resources that have educational content so for example podcasts like the ones that you're doing yourself um, webinars and then put together some well-being resources I think well-being is really important amongst our trainees at this time because there's heightened sense of anxiety especially if you're locked up at home for two weeks yeah for sure and you know i hope that uh, people listening to this will you know subscribe to this podcast and keep an eye on it and we're going to be having episodes released almost every other day now uh, speaking to uh, trainees surgeons from around the world but also episodes on managing uh, childcare provision for the healthcare sector uh, those people who are in the digital health sector that are grossly being affected by this but may have some fantastic means of uh, helping improve the way the NHS is currently running and then also you know addressing some concerns like you know there being not significant uh, provision of uh, PPE equipment yes um, obviously, you can follow BOTA at www.bota.org and on their Twitter handle, BOTA underscore UK. Uh, the JCST is JCST underscore surgery. Uh, we are at PDPods and myself is at Prane underscore B. Uh, you can check out our website, www.pdpods.com, and that's going to have a link in uh, to all of the relevant documentation from Health Education England. JCST, GMC, etc., which can be uh, downloaded and hopefully uh, you'll sort of continue to engage in, in knowing what you want to know. Um, of course, we are here to provide information. Are BOTA having, uh, what are BOTA planning to do to keep their members updated, Trisha? So a, a number of things. Um, I think our, um, our website is one good source of information. We're updating that on a regular basis. But I'm quite conscious that there's a lot of statements, a lot of, lot to read, and it can be quite confusing. That's why I'm glad that we did this um, podcast, because hopefully that will clarify things um, somewhat. Um, and then there's our social media um, 
platform which we're trying to get information out to people um, and we're working on producing some educational content to support our, our trainees in these in these difficult times so um, mainly website social media um, and we'll progress with the educational content fantastic well look Trisha thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to us I hope that we can also managed to record episodes with uh, maybe uh, you know one of the committee members from ASSET or even one of your medical student representatives as I'm sure there's a whole huge number of concerns on their side as well uh, but hopefully we'll also get to sit down again in maybe a week or a fortnight and we can give an update to all our yeah. listeners. Brilliant, thank you for having Perfect. me. No, no, thank you very much, we'll speak to you next time. <laughs>